It is just past 7 o'clock, and don't you know it, got another huge Ira on sports for you. Right here on the True Oldies channel, I'm Mike Balsamo, and Ira had a pretty interesting weekend, and, and the golf, it seems like every weekend, we're getting basically major caliber golf. It's just been amazing. We're going to talk a lot about that tonight. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when you get a golf match, between the two best golfers in the world, and one hits a 42-foot putt, and then John Rahm hits a 66-foot putt to win. And, we're, and, and the putts aren't the straight along like you're in a miniature golf. I mean, these are difficult putts, uh, difficult plays. You have all the best golfers in the world. I mean, I'm looking forward to the Tour Championships next week and then the U.S. Open two weeks after that. Uh, fantastic. What a way and the golf season and the, the first sport that was back after the COVID shutdown was really golf and and to just be consistently week in week out uh without tiger woods being a dominant factor in it people said once tiger's gone and not really major in factor people aren't going to watch golf the ratings are phenomenal the ratings are up uh west palm beach i think every single tournament has been the number one rated market for golf so that's why we talk about golf a lot because it's popular here and it's popular around america and, and what you said is interesting you know they were the first sport back and i think the product has been the best of all the, the sports as well, maybe because, you know, not so much a team game and these guys can, you know, focus on themselves, but just crazy. The, the quality golf that we've been getting, we'll talk about that uh, coming up on Ira on Sports. But Ira, why don't you run down the schedule of what's happening this week because this is a massive week we have coming up. Well, the month of September is going to be just uh, very extensive. And now we, you know, we, we're we were remiss not to talk about the, there was some stoppages and, uh, and boycotts per se for uh, social activism in terms of these athletes and teams and the NBA and Major League Baseball and hockey. And, you know, certainly I uh, am totally against police brutality and also I'm against violence and all those things. And, and most sports shows, I think, spend are spending almost all their entire show on talking about these issues. And, and as much as we try to bring stuff to, to light, we had Craig Hodges on, who was one of, I haven't seen him on any show, who talked about uh, uh, his issues with social justice and was banned from the NBA, really, for bringing it up. We had him on a few weeks ago. We had an author uh, who wrote a book about Oscar Charleston, one of the first black league, famous, famous black league baseball players uh, at the, in the day, but now not many people know about him, but sort of one of the greatest players. So we've had, we've addressed issues, we've had people, but I just don't think that, you know, I said, this is Iron Sports, we're going to, we have an hour to talk about sports, and I think we're going to focus on the sports aspect of it, and certainly there's so many other outlets for people to look at on both sides of any side of the issue, if you want to talk about, uh, in terms of all the social justice ramifications, but I just think that in terms of what we're going to be doing today on the show and going forward, is just try to stick to the sports, and as I said, there are a zillion other outlets uh, for people to get their news on each side of the, of the, of the matters. No, absolutely. You are correct. And, and it was, um, you know, it's un always unfortunate to see a shutdown, but, um, you know, I, I get the, I get the social activism, um, totally, but now we're kind of having to jam things in you. Like you said, this was already going to be a hectic week, but then throw on top of it, things like the Kentucky Derby, and it's just going to be, uh, uh crazy. Well, the U.S. Open, which is normally I'd be there. Like, this is the week, first day I'd be at the U.S. Open. I don't think I missed it in the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years. And that starts this week. It goes for two weeks. Then you're going to have a week break or two-week break, and then the French Open starts. You have the two majors back-to-back, -back, which, of course, the French Open is usually in the summer. is the second Open. At the same time, you have now the Tour Championships, which is the – uh, the final uh, event supposedly of the year, but it's not really because the U.S. Open then is two weeks after that. So you have two of the biggest, I guess, five uh, golf tournaments in the world right within two weeks of each other. The Tour Championships in the U.S. Open in September. Kentucky Derby is on September 5th. And then on the 10th, the NFL starts on Thursday night. The 13th is the first Sunday. And then you're going to get the ACC and Big 12 starting college football on the 12th and the 19th of September. The SEC starts, SEC is on the 26th. And midst of all that, NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs, the conference semifinals and finals, the whole month of September, and also, of course, the NASCAR playoffs. So you really have this jam-loaded. I mean, it's usually always a busy time because you have football starting, but now you have football starting, and you have the NBA, and you have, uh, and then you have golf pushback, and you have NHL. It's just in uh, the Kentucky Derby. It's just I'm, we've never seen a month like this, and it's going to be a crazy, fun, exciting month to watch sports. And, and Ira, I mean, I know you're like me. You're probably uh, knocking out a bunch of fantasy drafts as well. Um, you know, as we. Get closer and closer to football season so it's it's really that exciting feeling everyone's getting back into it um you know even more so than they have in the past and uh you know my week is going to be packed with drafts i'm sure yours is too um let's talk about the golf you you brought it up 
just crazy. I, I mean, my phone started going nuts when, when this happened because people were just like, "Do you did you see what just happened here?" And like you said, it was an, a forty-two foot putt by Dustin Johnson to force what would have been a playoff, and then John Rahm it's a sixty-six footer. Like you said, it was almost a circus shot to to take the win, and it was just absolutely incredible. Well, and it's exciting. The BMW Championships, they've added, because it's a cutdown. It's more to, sort of like uh, a field in terms of there's 70 players at the BMW. There's 125 in the Northern Trust last week that Dustin Johnson won. And then there's 70 in this, and then only the top 30 make the Tour Championships. And then they, they revised the rules for the Tour Championships because it was so hard to figure out who's winning the event, who's going to win the overall FedEx Cup. And this FedEx Cup is the points total from the whole year. So like the Honda Classic counted as FedEx points. Uh, all these other tournaments they had during the year count, and then this is sort of the final event. And, and in order to add up all the points and the totals and make it so hard, what they've decided is that if you're leading it, you start at, at 10 under. And if you're in second place, you're at 8 under. And then you're third, you're 7 under, and you go far, you know, go to the point where you're at even par for the final 25 to 30. So the point is that they want to give someone who is leading the tour championships this lead, a two-stroke lead going into. So it's going to be like it started at 10 under. I know it's a little complicated to understand, but that's what they're going for. And, and Dustin Johnson, because he even though finished second at this at the BMW, he's still going to be leading the FedEx points and start at 10 under. And John Rahm's going to be at eight, at eight under. But what a what a field in terms of. So it's interesting, but also the other side. Uh, aspect about this was that there were a lot of golfers that were between that 20 and 40 range. So some were getting in and some were getting knocked out. And there were some putts that were making it. And it means a lot to make the store championship. You're talking about millions of dollars, uh, different exemptions, those things, and get a chance. So it was a big deal in terms of what golfers were on that cut line of 30. So it was like that secondary type cut, uh, whether you should get into world championships. Now, when they play in the tour, there's no cut. They play 30. They, they play next week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And there's no cut. It's just uh, 30. And then whoever has the lowest score is going to be the FedEx champion and get $10 million. It is super cool. And it's also cool that they're ending on Labor Day, you know, pushing that off the extra day since most people um, won't be working. I, I enjoyed that. Um, well, let's go into uh, last weekend's tournament a little bit. How'd Tiger look? Well, he had, you know, there was, he had, he had a lot of pressure for him to get in. He came in in the fifties and he needed to really finish in fourth place. It's hard to say when I say he had to finish, but it seemed like he had to be like in fourth place. They're really going to have to have a great tournament to make it for the tour championship. So this remember, this is the one he won two years ago. He walked down at East Lake in, in Atlanta and everybody ran out behind him. And that was sort of his comeback and crying and that was a great moment that was prelude to the masters so this was a big tournament to get in for tiger it'd be great to see him at that tournament but he didn't make it last year and now he's not going to make it this year he shot a 73 the first day um and then a 75 the second day three over par five over par and this is a tournament unlike last week when Dustin Johnson won with 30 under, uh, four under won this. But so he was sort of in the mix, but I felt bad for him. He actually played better on the weekend on Saturday and Sunday. He was on Saturday, <laughs> a 69, really going, go into a 69, and he did a triple bogey on the 17th hole. And then on Sunday, he had a double bogey, uh, to make it to 71. So he finished with a 72 and 71, 51st place out of 70, 11 over. Um, and it's just, you know, certainly not, uh, not what the weekend that he wanted. He, he just inconsistent on Sunday. Some of the putts, uh, uh, just not overall, uh, just a great week for him. Uh, but this gives him time, as, as it gives him time to take a couple of weeks off and get ready for the U.S. Open. And, you know, he only cares about the majors, so we'll forget about this entire week or anything if he comes back and, and wins the U.S. Open in two weeks at Wingfoot. So let's go back to uh, let's go back to Thursday. Like you said, this was a really hard tournament. There was no thirty unders. I believe only four guys uh, were under for the tournament. T- Tony Finau uh, finished up at minus one. Everyone else was uh, even or over. So let's go back to Thursday because the scoring just wasn't there like we've seen uh, last week. Well, it was it was a crazy. It was uh, uh, Hideki Matsuyama was was led after the first day three under par. Tyler Duncan is two under, Mackenzie Hughes one under. This only one's under par. I mean, that was it was, it was the average score was seventy two point eight. The only four of the eighteen holes played under, only four of eighteen holes played even under par. That included the par fives. And uh, this is uh, everything. It was just a difficult. The greens were hard, making tough to get the ball close to the greens, and nearly impossible to get shots from out of the rough to stop on the green. You saw people going in the rough and then just shooting right over the greens. It wasn't. Un- it was not an unfair. It was one of those weird courses where, like, you hit the ball on the green and then it rolls 
holes off. It just seemed like a very tough, hard U.S. Open-like course, unlike last week, the Northern Trust, which seemed like a very easy course. Um, but John Rahm, who ended up uh, winning the tournament, uh, was plus five. Instead of 75, so how many people shoot 75 in that first round and end up winning the tournament? Uh, pretty crazy, and, that, and uh, that's what was just exciting for that first day. And then and, on Friday, um, it was, uh, you know, Rory ended up uh, leading, leading at one under. Patrick Cantlay ended up, uh, who actually missed the tour championships, he had a lead there. It made a 50-foot chip and a 50-foot wedge to go one under. Uh, and DJ uh, Dustin Johnson uh, was, at, was at one under. And uh, at that same time, John Rahm was at, at plus six for the tournament, and I shot another another bad round and, and, and really looked like he was way out of it. I mean, I guess if there was a cut line, he probably wouldn't even made the cut. Um, but uh, so you had, it, you had that Friday of, of what I felt was a situation where, you know, you're sitting at, at, one, at, at, at you know, with, with golfers at one under par. Uh, it's open for almost for anybody to win that tournament. Let's go to Friday, and it was interesting seeing, you know, good friend of Iron Sports, Jim Herman, had a shot at the lead here. Yeah, well, that was... I got excited on Friday, I forget that, on, on the par 4 7th. He was actually at one point, one shot off the lead. I'm like, oh my gosh, he was just on our show. He's going to take this. This is going to, this is going to be what's going to happen. It was, it was exciting to see him in the mix, and we had him on last week. And of course, he won two weeks ago. And uh, it was just great to see him close. And he ended up playing very well for the tournament, uh, and, and, but he not making the final week. But, uh, but he, had a, he, ended up, uh, he, end, he ended up with a plus. He finished, finished in 40th place, 71, 72, 73, and 72. But that wasn't good enough to get into the tour championships. Uh, what about? But, uh, oh, go ahead. But on Saturday, um, that's where Rom, where he finally got 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 going. I mean, shooting a sixty six. So now you're playing on a on a course that everyone's like trying to get par, and he shoots a sixty six. And what happened on Saturday was amazing. On the fifth hole, he goes up to his ball to pick it up. It's on the green, and he just picks it up. <laughs> like and like most golfers would do because he's just you know moving it because he wants to move it out for the next person, but he forgot to put it back to market. So I mean, I'm sure John Ramos picked up a million balls in his life, and it's the first time he's ever not marked a ball. It was just I, it was weird, probably without the fans. He wasn't thinking, but that's a one shot penalty. So not only did he win this golf tournament, but on he had a crazy stupid penalty. Now luckily it's only a one shot penalty. Only one like they disqualified him for the tournament. Like I think in the old days they might have done something like that, but surprisingly on that fifth hole that was his last bogey of the entire tournament so that was uh uh so he finished the day he, he ended up being at plus two dustin johnson was at minus one and hideki Matsuyama tied also at, at, at minus one um but for, for that day but uh uh that led dustin johnson who going to sunday he's a 54 hole leader now for his third straight tournament crazy so and then on sunday uh it looked like he was going to run away with it. At one point early, he was like at three under and uh, probably had a two or three stroke lead. And Joaquin Neiman, a 21 year old from Chile, he actually got two birdies, came up there and took the lead. Dustin had a bogey and actually was, had a lead at three under. Dustin was at two under. And Rom was still kind of coming back up and, and, and going there. But finally, um, Rom was able to take the lead at four under, and Dustin Johnson birdied 15 to go to three under. So then it came to 17 and 18. And what was exciting when you're watching those is that what's the chance of 17? Dustin Johnson was down a hole. Rom was already, again, we have one of the situations where the leader is in the clubhouse, and all we need, he has to tie it to get into this playoff. And you see Rom practicing, and the same, like, sort of like Jim Herman was the, five, the week before, two weeks before, where he was done, you know, about, he was about three or four groups ahead. And on 17, uh, just a terrible shot. Uh, he, had just, he parred the hole, had an eight foot uh, par, the par, but he didn't have a chance. It was a great chance for him to get a We were burning that 17. But on 18, he uh, his his um, drive was uh, was bad, poor. His approach was poor. Leading himself with a 42 foot putt for birdie, which when he hit it, it's like oh, good day for Dustin Johnson. It went over like two different levels. It went left, it went right, it went left again, and then right in the hole. And it was just amazing. I screamed so loud, and that tied and forced. And Rom, though, to his credit, like if that was there were fans there. The crowd noise was amazing, but Ron was already on the driving range, and he could hear it because there was enough fans on that, enough more fans, but more marshals and people there that started screaming and yelling about that, and then that forced the playoff hole. And then on the playoff, Rom found himself, I mean, in the rough on his tee shot. Dustin was in the, right in the middle of the uh, of the. Uh, of the fairway, and then Dustin Joe Dustin hit a fairly good shot to the uh, green, giving himself a chance, probably just for a par. And Rom was 
60, of course, 66 feet away. And what does he do? He hits it in. And, uh, and then, but then Justin had a chance. He was like, I guess it was like 26 or 27 feet away to tie uh, for a, you know, he had to have a birdie on that hole. And he just missed. I mean, that was amazing. He had a 42-foot par uh, putt and then a 27-foot putt back-to-back. But Rahm ended up being the winner. And Neiman finished third. Uh, Hideki Matsuyano finished fourth. Tony Finau fifth. Uh, they were the only golfers under par. Uh, some other big names. Rory was uh, finished plus three for the tournament. Twelfth, who might not play because he's expecting the birth of his first child, might not even play in the tour championships. Uh, Colin Maracara, uh finished, uh, had a plus five. He's in 20th, in 20th place. Justin Thomas was, uh, was six over. Uh, Daniel Berger, six over. Herman ended up eight over. And Bryson DeChambeau, tenth over. Ten, I'm sorry, ten over. But uh, coming into the tour championships, DJ's at first. Then Rahm is now two strokes behind him. Justin Thomas is at minus at at seven under Webb Simpson, who chose not to play in the tournament, so he didn't even play in the tournament because he had so many FedEx points, and he could he only dropped one spot. So he's in fourth. That's it. He's going to start the tour championship at six under. Colin Markar at five under. Berger four. Bryson DeChambeau four under. Uh, Rory three under. So it'll, it's going to be you know sets up for a really exciting uh, tour championships. I mean, it was exciting on the other aspect we mentioned about Mackenzie Hughes. He had to make a par to actually get into the tour championships and bump out Adam Long. And he had this, uh, I think he had like a six-foot par putt. He backed away on it a couple times, finally made it, and uh, that forced Adam Long out. And also Kevin Streeland backed out. But it was really interesting to see on that cut line of 30 what players got into it or not. You're listening to Iron Sports on the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo here as well. Uh, let's change gears. Let's go to talk about college football. And, you know, we're getting started uh, back going. One of the things I think is really cool and a lot of people may not have heard about this, is that North Dakota State, Ira, is going to play one game versus Central Arkansas, and the whole purpose is to show off their awesome quarterback, Trey Lance, and, you know, give, it's basically his pro day they're doing as a live game, and so I, I think that's really exciting what they did, because that's obviously never happened before. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, to think that we're living in COVID with the suspensions, but Trey Lance is someone who people feel is the third-best quarterback in this upcoming draft, which would be next year, behind uh, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. So, uh, just Trevor Lawrence of Clemson and Justin Fields of Iowa State. He's not even playing probably this year. And so they, North Dakota State wants to give Trey a chance, and Central Arkansas, which surprisingly is seems to be like Central Arkansas seems to be playing everything. So they've agreed <laughs> to play this game against North Dakota State, but North Dakota State is not supposed to be playing any games at all in terms of the fall. They're going to play in the spring. So they're playing this one game against Central Arkansas, which just played this past weekend against Austin P. It was, it was the first game of the season in terms of Central Arkansas and Austin P. Um, and uh, this weekend you're going to get like games like on ESPN, Eastern Kentucky at Marshall, SMU at Texas State, Arkansas State at Memphis, and then maybe two teams that people realize, you know, are sort of familiar with is BYU and Navy on Monday night. <laughs> so that's on Labor Day on Labor Day on Monday night. But then the following weekend is that when you're going to get some of the games. That's where you're going to get, I mean, actually a fairly interesting game. Duke, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech at Florida State, Clemson at Wake Forest, Syracuse at UNC. You have to wait. So two more weeks. I mean, for so many years, college football has been starting like in August, like maybe it seems like 22nd they're going to have games. Now it's been pushed back a little bit. But uh, that, that's sort of what the schedule of that would be. I don't know if you've seen this either. You know, I, I kind of fall in line with, without having like a real serious college football team being so close to UM. I, I support them. I want them to do good. They've been cleaning up with a lot of their signings. Uh, they've been getting a lot of, you know, uh, blue chip prospects. So, you know, good for them in Miami. And I look forward to them uh, being exciting going forward and getting back to what Miami was. Well, yeah, they're going to be playing UAB next Thursday night uh, at UAB, University of Alabama, Birmingham, is going to be at Miami. So that's one of the first big games of the ACC. That's their, that's their non-conference game that starts. They'll play one non-conference game and then the, the 10 conference games. And, and it's exciting for the ACC to have Notre Dame play that whole 10-game schedule. I mean, they usually be yeah. playing a schedule where they play four to five uh, ACC teams a year. Now to play 10 is going to be exciting when you see, like, everyone who looks to see Notre Dame again, for college football, that's amazing. But one Another thing that I want to touch on in terms of college football is that we've been mentioning about these graduate school transfers. And if you graduated, if you if you graduated your school, you're allowed to transfer at any time as long as if you, so you haven't started football, hasn't played a game. They're not like people transfer in the middle of the year, but you don't have to sit out a year. Typically, you have to sit out a time. And you're starting to see some of these school teams, the players from the Pac-10 and the Big Ten, going to other schools. And people said, "Well, wait, wait a second. They're not going to be going to Alabama. They already have enough scholarships. They're not going to go to Clemson. They're already filled up." But then schools like Texas Tech. 
you know, would need someone like Colin Schooler went from Arizona. He's one of the second leading tackler in football last year. And he's now going to be playing next year for Texas Tech. Texas Tech has added six transfers just in this time period from Power 5 programs. So it's like that's where I was thinking these schools like a Wake Forest, a Vanderbilt, that are going to get players from some of these schools that when they realize the Big Ten's not playing, the Pac-10's not playing, you've graduated, you can just transfer without sitting out. Why not try to go to these schools and impress, and impress pro scouts? And I think that's what you're seeing now from the Big Ten. They're a little nervous. That's why they're saying now we might play starting Thanksgiving. Just don't see how viable that is, and maybe in domes or whatever. But um, I think when the Big Ten and the Pac-10 announced they were not playing, they felt the other schools were going to follow suit. And now you're seeing schools like Notre Dame and BYU and Navy playing, and all these conferences playing. The Big Ten and Pac-10 are are left out in this, and and, and uh, you know hopefully for everybody's sake, I'm a Big Ten State fan, and uh, I mean hopefully they, these schools are able to get through this, and there's going to be no issues in terms of COVID, and they can get through this process. But it will. I've had some callers, people off the, off the show, tell me that they disagree with this. That I do think it hurts Penn State. I have my contacts at Penn State and Ohio State. Are, they are losing players. They're losing recruits. Um, it is something that is, uh, you know, a decision they felt. And all, every AD of the Big Ten wanted to play, and almost half the presidents, but they wanted unanimity, and they couldn't get that. And so that's why they decided to postpone the season. Yeah, and it's sad for a lot of those kids and, and of course, the fans as well. But it, it is what it is in this uh, strange, strange year that we're living in. Um, let's go to pro football. And let's just take it back to 2017, Ira. And this was a, a draft with a lot of talent in it. But there was also a lot of misses and one player that kind of had all the talent in the world and it just never seemed to click for was Leonard Fournette in Jacksonville and he's no longer going to be a Jag. You know, today when I heard the announcement that Leonard Fournette's going to be being cut. Now, Leonard Fournette, get this, he's the fourth round draft pick in 2017, three years of 2,600 yards, 17 touchdowns. He was supposed to be the focal point of their offense. He's not really hurt either. I mean, he's played, you know, he's been injured some games, but he's had 13 games, 8 games, 15 games the three years. But it's a situation where Jacksonville decides to move on from him and, and not pay him and not cut him. But if you, I love looking at this draft. You know how much I love to go back at drafts when people ask me, like, what happened? Like, why? How, who, how, who could have got Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell like the NBA? But how about this draft? Miles Garrett for Cleveland just signed a million-dollar deal besides uh, beating Bass and Rudolph off for the Steelers, but it was drafted one, which clearly, is, you know, he was clearly a, the best defensive player and was not crazy. But number two, Mitch Trubisky for the Bears might not even be the starting quarterback for the Bears but this year was number two. Uh, Solomon Thomas of San Francisco 49ers is not playing on a team, uh, so he was the miss for at third. Leonard Fournette at fourth uh, is now cut. Corey Davis of Tennessee is a wide receiver that really hasn't amounted to much. Jamal Adams for the Jets. So the Jets got a good pick right at six, even though they're having uh, contract issues with him and, and problems. But then Mike Williams the Chargers probably hasn't panned out as well as wide receiver. But what about the eighth pick to the Carolina Panthers? Christian McCafferty, MVP of the league, superstar running back, all these other things. So that was a good pick. And then you got John Ross. Uh, for Cincinnati from Washington. Now, how about this? The, the Cincinnati Bengals picked John Ross, a wide receiver that really, as someone who knows fantasy, had a lot of upside. People thought, boy, he's going to be a good fantasy player, never really amounted to much. And then with the 10th pick, the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. <laughs> so they get probably one of the greatest players maybe of all time with the 10th pick. And that's what shows you, I've given through all these misses. You know, you got the Miles Garrett. You can say, well, maybe Miles Garrett or Patrick Mahomes. But to think that you're picking the Corey Davises and the John Rosses and the Mitch Trubisky's, and there's not, uh, there's, uh, and then at the 12th pick, the Sean Watson. So you got Mahomes at 10, Watson at 12. Uh, what a what a what a draft! And then in the third round, just to throw out a name, Alvin Kamara. Like if you want to pick a running back, uh, the Saints picked Alvin Kamara in the third round. They cleaned up with uh, Marshawn Lattimore in the first as well. And, and yeah, this this was a weird one for me. Um, the, the draft in particular, because I, I support the Tennessee Titans, and I knew that Corey Davis was a bad pick right off the bat. But this was a lot of hit and miss receivers. But Leonard Fournette, and you brought up fantasy. Anybody who's been you know, following Fournette and following the Jags running game, you keep this guy Rykel Armstead rostered as the handcuff. I agree, he's getting two two carries a game last year. Leonard Fournette was still the, the running back on the field 99% of the time. So to just completely go away from him, it's, it's a little weird. And the Jaguars weren't done there. They traded uh, Yannick Ngoku to, to the Vikings, who that'll help them try to replace Everson Griffin. <laughs> 
just another move. I mean, you wonder what I think Jacksonville is trying to, you know, this, I think this follows with the getting rid of Tom Coughlin, the whole Jalen Ramsey trade. I mean, they have been jettisoning player after player after player. But also we had talked about a little bit, is this Jacksonville trying to get Trevor Lawrence? Is this Jacksonville trying to put the best, the worst team possible on the field so they do get Trevor Lawrence? I mean, is this the, uh, so the point is, it just seems like every, every move Jacksonville's making has been to get worse, not get better. <laughs> and uh, just getting rid of Leonard Fournette. I mean, they probably were trying to trade him. Nobody wanted to trade for him. And then to make the trade to the Vikings, again, for dra- it was just for draft choices, not for players. It's just you question, you know, what, what's Jacksonville doing this year? No, it's funny. They, they actually came out today and said there was no takers for anything Leonard Fournette. No fifth round, sixth round, seventh round picks. Nobody wanted him. So he's, uh, he gets cut there. Um, let's go over to the NBA. And I re- we were, you know, two weeks ago and maybe even a little last week talking like, well, we might see some upsets here. You know, this might happen if everything goes right and really didn't pan out. And we saw the best teams moving on. or And then we also saw what we thought was going to be the best series in uh, Denver and um, Denver and Utah really turned out to be. Well, it was the NBA, the playoffs. Again, there was 11 games this past week. Nine were, I wouldn't say blowouts, but you know, 10 or more points. There wasn't really, there was only a couple of two games that were decided, like even in near the last possession uh, of those games. So really it has not been, besides the, the three days they didn't play basketball for the, for the, for the boycotts, um, or the shutdowns in terms of those three days, uh, there's, the games have not been that great, honestly. I mean, I'm the biggest NBA yeah. fan in the world. I'm fantasy left and right. And, and for a number of reasons, but just haven't been played well. But I gotta give you credit. I mean, the East, on the East side, the top four teams, and I can't, you know, I know Miami is the fifth seed, not the fourth seed, but when you have, uh, a, a, like, you know, there's only one loss between all those four teams that advance, uh, in the West, you, people were, you know, hoping for a series with the, the Lakers in Portland. I said, boy, there's a chance, and that was, the, did not much too much of a series, and then you have the uh, uh, Clippers and, and, and Mavericks, which I felt could really have been a great series. Did and, and now, but the only thing you have left, and I just cannot tonight. We're going to see the Rockets play the Thunder. I cannot believe the Thunder are going to stand in this game after how poorly they played last game. But you're going to have a game seven between Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray, Denver and Utah. I know there maybe teams aren't that familiar with, but that is going to be a great game. A game seven between those two teams, the third and the sixth seed. So at least we got one good series out of that whole first round. But it, it should be. I mean, this has been. If anybody's been watching these games, it's been. They've been very good games. Okay, so let's uh, let's slide through some of these here. Clippers and Mavericks. We're all extremely impressed with everything that Luka Doncic brings uh, every night. The kid's just a phenom, but just wasn't enough to overtake the Clippers, who are just a better team, top to bottom. Well, when there's the second best player, Christoph Persingas, and the question is, what, why didn't he play? Uh, that was a, they played on Tuesday night, and they came back and played on Sunday. Um, they got uh, one. They lost by 33 points on Tuesday without Persingas. Um, Clippers won a 19 nothing run. They were up like 76 to 52. And what happened was that Marcus Morris stepped on. There's been this, there's been a lot of. Um, I would say jawing at Luka Doncic by the, the Clippers. And Marcus Morris steps on Luka Doncic's foot. I thought it looked like on purpose. And Rick Carlisle, the, the Mavericks, the coach, got ejected for complaining about it. He was talking to trash the whole time. And I just felt like it was a bad move. I, I, thought it was, uh, I thought it was a bad move. You know, I thought Morris didn't get ejected from stepping on his own. Oh, just an accident, just an accident. But he came from behind Doncic, stepped on him. Everybody who plays basketball knows that you don't just step people around their ankles like that on purpose, like you weren't jumping up and down. And Luka, you know, he had this bad ankle. He still played 22 points, 80 rounds, four assists. But uh, finally, Paul George, 35 points, and, and Kawhi Leonard had 32 points. And they made, made 22 out of 35 three-pointers. Um, most points the Mavericks have ever given up in the playoff game. Uh, but it's just a total blood. And then in game six, I'm, like, excited. I mean, I, I have Doncic on my playoff fantasy team. I'm waiting for something. They played well, Mavericks. I mean, they played so hard. They were down. They were up I, I four at halftime. But I got to give Kawhi Leonard credit. I mean, 33 points, 14 rounds, seven assists, five steals. George had another bad game of 15 points. Lou Williams had five points. But I am on Kawhi Leonard's case because he I, he doesn't play during the regular season, the load management. Boy, but he plays, though. He plays well. He's really, really good. I, and that's what just bothers me is that I don't want – I hate when people put him as this elite player, but he only plays, it seems like, I don't know, two-thirds of the regular season and totally coast. And then he puts on these amazing performances. I do not want to see him compared to any of the all, all-time greats in the past. Because and even LeBron, because LeBron plays harder the regular season than uh, than Kawhi Leonard does. But uh, Doncic for the series, he shot forty seven percent. He averaged thirty one points, ten rebounds, and nine assists. And the Mavericks seem to be like one more player. Get Persingas back healthy. Have Doncic, who's only twenty one years old. Persingas is twenty five. 
have another player, this is a team that maybe next year we talk about going to the NBA Finals. But it was, it, it, I think teams need this type of series, the tough, the jawing, whatever. And I also think the Mavericks were hurt in Game 6 because I think if they would have had the fans and then they would have seen what was going on, I think that would have been an issue in terms of the Mavericks. In Game 7, and, I'm sorry, in the, in the, in the sixth game, um, Morris went and, and took, had a hard foul on Doncic and got ejected from the game for this very, very hard shot. Like, almost tried to step on the foot, then hit him behind the head and was ejected. But I just thought it was, uh, it was like one of those situations where I thought if that was, it, if that was in Dallas, the fans would have been mad. Maybe that would have given Dallas an impetus to get through. But without fans there, they didn't really have that much excitement. No, you're absolutely right on that. And we were right on this show. Uh, we, we mentioned earlier that thinking that Denver and Utah was really just going to be a, an amazing series. And so far, it's lived up to it, and we're going to go to a Game 7. Yeah, I mean, coming into this series, only three players have had scored 50 points twice in a series. Jordan did it twice. I mean, 50 points in a twice. Jordan did it two times, two series. Uh, Chamberlain did it once, and Iverson did it once. In this series, we have two players have done it. It was absolutely amazing. I mean, I mean, Denver got out to, I mean, Utah got out to a three to one series lead. And then Tuesday night, uh, Denver was able to, to cut it down to three to two. And this was actually a fairly, you know, close game in terms of it. It felt like there was a point in the game where, uh, they were up 17 points. Like Utah was like, okay, you up 15 points. Utah in the third quarter is up 50 points. They're ready to close it out. They're going to win four one. And then boy, Jamal Murray just shot after shot after shot after shot. Uh, two pointers, three pointers, driving, and even Mitchell had the Mitchell had one of the best dunks I've ever seen. He posterized a dunk over Michael Porter Jr. This like left hand dunk to to make it ninety six ninety six with six minutes to go. But it's like one of these games where it's like everything that Mitchell did, Murray just did a little bit more. He ended up with forty two points, eight rebounds, eight assists, and Mitchell ended up with thirty points. But it was a it was a great game. I mean, just a great up and forth game. And then in lat and yesterday, uh, Murray scores. 50 points <laughs> and Crazy. 17 to 24 from shooting 9 to 12 from 3. And here's a guy. Let me tell you about Jim Walmart. He averages 19 points in regular season. Everybody drafts him like I do in fantasy all the time. It's only like in regular season 19 point game season. And then now he's scoring 50 points. Over the last three games he's at, he's had 50, 42, and 50 points. And Donovan Mitchell for the game had 44 points. So it was like one of, and Denver got Gary Harris back who's been out almost the whole playoffs. So it really sets up a good, only 12 teams have rallied from a three to one deficit. And, uh, so we're going to see what's going to happen. I mean, I think it's anybody's game. I, I think then I think that, I think that Utah will win. I think Mitchell is going to have a better game than Murray. And, uh, I just, I'm just, there's something about in this series. I think Utah is going to stop the bleeding and, and, and end up winning this series four three, but it's, it's going to be a grass. be a great game to watch on Tuesday night. Okay. So let's move on to the Lakers in Portland. Then it was a really sexy pick you know, two weeks ago to say, ah, watch out, Portland's going to upset the Lakers. It, it, it looked like there may be a shot early on, but then the Lakers just turned it on and showed they're the better team. Yeah, but it's, it's, not, it's really not fair in terms of Portland. I mean, they were, they were shorthanded already uh, with Zach Collins uh, uh, being injured. And then Damon Lillard was not himself. He had 11 points in forces Monday night. They lost by 20 points. I mean, LeBron only played 28 minutes. And uh, was just and the Lakers actually shot 17 for 30, 39 from three point line, so they did great. It was a total blowout. And then Lillard left the bubble; it wasn't even in the bubble before his knee could have knee surgery. And uh, it was I was shocked how well Portland played. I mean, they were that without Lillard, and it was a hundred to hundred in the fourth quarter. And uh, the Lakers ended up on a 20 to seven run. Uh, C.J. McCollum played lights out. He played almost 46 minutes of the 48 minutes, had 36 points. Carmelo Anthony, you know, had 27 points. So I give Portland a lot of credit. They literally played five guys, almost the entire, five, six guys, the entire game to hang in there. But uh, uh, too much. I mean, Anthony Davis is playing great. And this is the, but I don't know much of the test. Like the Lakers, I mean, Portland was so shorthanded without Lillard, with a hurt Lillard in game four. Um, I'm not ready to anoint that everything's fine in Lakerland until they start <laughs> making threes when it counts and, and whether Anthony Davis and uh, uh, LeBron themselves can do it. We're going to see. But it was, look, they got through the series. It was a difficult one. I thought Portland might have a chance at it, but uh, uh, the Lakers are Lakers move on now they play then the winner of the Rockets Houston series I mean the Rockets uh, Oklahoma City series so let's talk about that series because this is one to me that I, I don't know why I, I didn't think that the Rockets would be able to put up I mean I'm sorry I didn't think that um, Oklahoma City would be able to put up a fight against the Rockets it, it's starting to get away here and I don't think they can win two games in a row but they're they've looked good and this has been a good series it's a weird series because Houston was up 2-0, and I thought that third, that third game they were going to win that, and they blew that game, and I just like this felt like a sweep, and they just let Oklahoma City back, 
And Monday night, again, it was like no Westbrook in there for Houston, uh, but then Chris Paul had 26 points for Oklahoma City. Dennis Schroeder had 30 points. Harden was sort of off. I mean, it was just a weird game. Oklahoma City trailed by 15 points, and they still came back and won the game. Uh, but it was just, I felt like it was just, uh, 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 I just think, you know, it was like one of those games where there was, a, it was, you know, to make it 2 2. Like, again, I thought the series should be 3 2. So I feel bad for Houston. I think they were played. But they then were off Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday with the end, with the shutdown. They come back Saturday. Who's back? Russell Westbrook. So with Westbrook in there, and he didn't really do much, but I just think he has, I think, seven, eight points. But just Russell Westbrook in the lineup, I think, just gave them such jolt of enthusiasm. And I just don't think Oklahoma City, I mean, this is what I thought Oklahoma City was going to be. Then they got blown up by 34 points. Wasn't even close. Um, and, uh, uh, and, there, and there was a terrible call. I mean, Schroeder was the only one scoring for Oklahoma City, and Tucker for Houston headbutted Schroeder. And Schroeder, before the play, Schroeder was setting a pick, and it was sort of a maybe aggressive pick. But Schroeder weighs like 150 pounds, so it's like how hard a pick can you set? And he was ejected from the game. And then after that, he was a leading scorer. And then after that, there was no chance for, for Oklahoma City to win. So I looked for tonight. Um, I really look for you know, Houston, another blowout to win this and, and then be and set to be faced the, the Lakers. And I think the benefit for Houston is they were now able to have the question is when is Westbrook going to come back? He looked like he was pretty explosive and everything. So he'll be back for the Lakers series. You got Harden and Westbrook versus the Lakers. You're listening to Ira on Sports on the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's go to the East. I didn't think Miami was going to make it look as easy as they did, but they took down Indy and they're going to face off against the number one seed Milwaukee Bucks. What was exciting about the game uh, last week on Monday was that uh, uh, Jimmy Butler gets injured in the game. You're like a little nervous, but he's fine. But Kendrick Nunn, who uh, Spolstra said, I don't know when we're going to put Kendrick Nunn in. Kendrick Nunn had started all these games. I said, we've got to put Drogic as, as a point guard. And he finally got Nunn in. He played 14 minutes, scored seven points, but got him involved. And then you start seeing Dan out of Iowa waiting for how that blowout game where 14 points 19 rebounds and uh Gordon Drogic was tremendous but it was like you know Indiana is a very good team they were guess again it would they, they put up a fight all those games and I think that it was a good matchup in those four games for Miami to sweep that series it was a good sweep I mean <laughs> I mean Miami is so you know a mixture of old and young players and I thought that was a good win but to sweep that out and then get get some rest and now they're ready to play at, uh, tonight they're going to be playing uh, Milwaukee so let's talk about Milwaukee I think Everyone in Wisconsin collectively held their breath when uh, Orlando had the biggest upset in 20 years in game one. And then Milwaukee turned around and did what they do and rolled them for the rest of the series. If you're going to look at style points and you look at what Milwaukee did versus Orlando and what Miami did against Indiana, you'd say Miami looks better. I mean, or they just didn't. Orlando is playing with no players. I mean, understand they are playing with nobody. This is a G League team. They're playing with nobody. And they, they won on Saturday, Saturday night, 118, 104. But the fact that series is extended so long. I don't think it hurts because the, the Milwaukee has so, is so deep. They play with 10 players. They actually probably needed more practice and getting used to it with regular games. Um, they play two uh, games in the regular season uh, that Miami won, and then in the bubble against Milwaukee and Miami. And the Miami won. Uh, Milwaukee won on August 6th. Uh, when you're looking at this type of this win, I mean, this is like Milwaukee, had, they've had the best record in the NBA the last two years. Um, their coach, Budenholzer, was at Atlanta, had the best record there, and never really did well in the playoffs. And then he was at San Antonio under Popovich. So, but I like Spolster. I mean, winning the titles, being the playoff success. You have two teams that are very similar. They're very it's similar in one way that they have Milwaukee as a superstar, superstar player, and, and Giannis, and, and maybe the Heat have the Heat a Butler, but nothing. But the fact that they're very deep, uh, they really have. I mean, you look at guys like Eric Bledsoe, who played for the, the Clippers and now has done really well for, for Milwaukee. Wesley Matthews, you might remember from Portland, had some good careers. George Hill from San Antonio, went from Indiana's days. Uh, Dante DeFenzio, who you remember from Villanova when they won the national title. Pat Conahan, Marvin Williams, Kyle Korver, who's won for Philadelphia, Utah, and Cleveland, and Brooke Lopez. I mean, it's just so many players. And those two guys are Middleton. And whether Chris Middleton is an all-star, I mean, average 21 points in the regular season. He really didn't play, uh, play average 15 in the series. He's got to shoot well. He doesn't play well in the series. They have no chance to win. Uh, and last year in Milwaukee, I mean, they were up 2-0 against Toronto, and they lost four straight. So it's one of those things where I think that, and what they did, what, what, what uh, Toronto was able to do is just shut Giannis down. Just like, you know, literally every time he had the ball and tried to drive, they would double and triple him. He'd have 
great defensive players. I think they match up great against them. And uh, I honestly really feel that the Heat, like I think the Heat are going to win this series. I, I just think they're playing better. I think they're a better team. I forget about how many victories they have in terms of 60, you know, over you know, the Milwaukee won last year 60 and they had the best record this year. I really like, uh, I like the Heat's chances. I think they match up perfectly against this team. I agree with you. I think they do have a good shot here. And like you said, because the personnel matches up pretty well, they, they don't have the best player on the floor any night, but they've got maybe the sixth, I mean, the second through sixth best players on, on the floor. So uh, I, I think that Miami's got a real shot here, and it's going to be exciting to watch. Another one that's going to be super exciting, Ira, is uh, Toronto and Boston. And Boston's got a one nothing lead here, but something's not counting Toronto out yet for me. I'll still take Toronto to win this series. <laughs> well, that's what Brad Stevens, they go, Brad Stevens, they asked him, the, the coach of the Celtics, they go, do you think you have control this series? He goes, control? Are you crazy? Like, one of those, like, are you nuts? We just beat Toronto. <laughs> like, Toronto just won a title last year. Like, they're, they're, they, we don't, there's no need to have control against this team, you know. But what a great game. Now, the Celtics don't have Gordon Hayward. He's not going to be back even for this series. But Jason Tatum, 21 points. Kemba Walker, 18 points, 10 assists. Marcus Smart, 21 points. Jalen Brown, 17 points. They, but... Toronto's the same thing. They're both, they're very, you know, they're very consistent in terms of a lot of players. A lot of people can score every single night. And, uh, but boy, Toronto, they had trouble yesterday because of Van Fleet. Three for 16, uh, didn't shoot well at all. And uh, it, was, it was like one of those things right now where um, Boston is now 4-1 and one against the Raptors. Uh, the Raptors it went 0-2 against uh, Boston during this uh, bubble thing, and now they've lost by 40 total points and never led for a single minute. So there is something to the issue that maybe Boston has Toronto's number in this, and we'll see what happens. But I, you see Kemba Walker, and, and, and that's the whole, we've been talking about this for you know, this whole year almost on in, Iron in Sports, is, is the fact that Kyrie Irving leaves the team and you bring Kemba Walker in. Which are able to, able to get back and, and, and just what Kemba Walker brings in. And it's for someone like Kemba Walker who had all the success at Connecticut. Then he goes to Charlotte. We don't even talk about him. He never wins a series. He's this and this. And now he goes to a team like this. It must be great. I know there's fans aren't there to be in the playoff series, be surrounded by these players. He's, he's a type of guy that you can score. He's a guard that can, if you need 40 points, he's going to score 40. If you need 15 assists, he'll give you 15 assists. And uh, I think that's, you know, that's why he's the perfect point guard for this team. And, and I, I sort of like him after that first game. I like Boston to win the series. But it, this is a seven-game. This does feel like a seven-game series. It's interesting you bring up Kemba Walker because, yeah, it's, he seems like such a great guy and just definitely buried there in, in Charlotte. So good to see he's finally getting uh, some of that national attention that he hasn't got since the UConn days. Let's go to Major League Baseball, Ira. And it, I guess it fell apart, and A-Rod and J-Lo seem super depressed about the fact that they're not really even in the running now to buy the Mets. It looks like it's going to be uh, Steve Cohen, who I think is already like an 8% owner, is going to have the uh, inside lane here to take over the control of the Mets. The only thing you have to know about Steve Cohen is he's one of the richest men in the world. So, yes. I mean, that's like, so the idea is, is that uh, ever since the Mets with, the, with Madoff, and, and so since 2011, the Mets do play. New York is the largest media market. They have whatever. They have not had a payroll in the top 10 since 2011, and they've only finished with a ring record three times, advanced the wild card game only once, and then they had the one, they won the World Series, in two, uh, they, they lost the World Series in 2015, but this is, a, this is really what the Mets fans are looking for, and as much as the A-Rod bid was interesting and nice, I think it's like, are we going to spend like the Yankees? Are we going to spend like these other teams, like the Dodgers? Like, that's what we think we should spend like, and not pretend we're a middle market or below market team. I mean, that's, how it, that's all the Mets want, so it does, I think it's, yeah, this is going to be major. I think to add a team like the Mets in there, and I think the uh, the union should be happy because really the Mets have probably another hundred million dollars they can spend and add to the coffers of the players. But it's just a chance to, for this team to be competitive. And you saw this weekend where they blew the two games against on um, uh, the, the doubleheader on Sunday against the, the Yankees with terrible relief pitching. Their pitchers are going. It's just a mess. The Mets are a complete mess. And I do think that look, money is not doesn't mean everything, but I think it's going to be a major difference in terms of uh, having uh, a Steve Cohn run this team instead of Fred Wilpon, and uh, we'll see what happens. No, I, I agree with you there, and like you said, he is you got to be rich to be involved with this. He could buy the Mets a dozen times. That's how much money he has. So it's a big <laughs> difference from what we saw in the, you know, all the Mets fans call them the coupons, the, the, the will ponds. So the, I, I know every one of my Mets fans' friends is thrilled about this and hoping that it goes through. Uh, let's stay in baseball. Talk about the playoff rate run here. What's going on in the NL East? 
Well, really, it, it, the NL is like one of those things that if you, unless you're rooting for the Pirates the Diamondbacks, you should be pretty <laughs> confident your team might have a chance in. Whereas the American League is over. I mean, it's so over in the American League, it's, it's almost borderline over. Now, we're, we're about, I guess, what, 60% through the season, which is crazy to say. But the Marlins now have right in the ship. I mean, a lot of concern was what's going to happen? The Marlins missed all these games. Are they going to get back? But they're at 14 and 15. They're at 500 and 500 is you're in it. You're in it because remember, they take the top two from each division and two wild cards. And that's a lot of teams. You know, you're taking eight teams out of 15. So you got a, you got a good shot to get in there. And the Marlins are being at 500 really are, are, are you know, so they get, they have these weeks where they, they beat the Nats 11 to eight. They come back and, uh, and, and they, and they, how about they shot it? You know, they four nothing and three nothing over the, over the Mets, which are pathetic and, at that point. I mean, then they, they get shut up. It's one of the, they had two. Um, I love to see if the stats on this. They shut off the Mets twice, and they were shut off by the Blue uh, by the uh, Devil Rays, uh, Tampa Rays, uh, twice. So they were had, they were involved in four shutouts for the week. But uh, but that's what's going to happen with the Marlins this year, up and down. And, and they made the trade just now for Sterling Marte from Arizona. That's a so it's sort of like maybe look, you know, let's get some excitement in there. He's only due twelve million next dollars extra, even if they want him on this trade. Uh, Marte, I know, familiar from Pittsburgh. But, uh, you know, he's a, he's a good outfielder, not going to be a difference maker in terms of a superstar player. But he, good enough that the Yankees were thinking about, uh, about trading for him. So uh, it, it sort of looks like the Marlins are, you know, for the first time in our long time, are actually buyers in the market. Yeah, it, it was strange to see. They, they, they did send Caleb Smith uh, back to Arizona in that deal. Very good young pitcher, so it's not like they didn't give up give up nothing. But Starling Marte is a player. It's good to see uh, the Marlins in, in competition here. And there's a there was a blockbuster trade earlier today. We'll talk about in just a couple of minutes. What's going on in the NL Central? I well, again, this is one where we thought was going to be a great in, in Chicago. I love how so ESPN has these things where they estimated, and Chicago's estimated to make the playoffs at ninety seven for ninety seven percent. But then you have the, the Cards at twelve and thirteen, the Brewers at fifteen and eighteen, the Reds at fifteen and nineteen. They're all in it. They're all they're all in the mix. And uh, I think it's interesting that you, Darvish, who a lot of people just, you know, has had problems with some teams and the Dodgers and everything, but, boy, he is pitching great. I mean, he's only had one start this year where he's given up more than one run. He's 6-1 and one with a, a 1.47 ERA. I mean, he's really set to win the Cy Young almost, and surprising maybe uh, in, the, in the National League. But he, again, had a good start this week, six innings against the Reds, no runs. But that's like something that the, the Cubs – I mean, look, you look at the Cubs the last, you know, they made the, the change at manager and, uh, they're playing well. I mean, and, and they're really, you know, cruising along in the central. And then you have all these other teams, uh, between the cards, the Brewers and the Reds to see, you know, who's, who's going to get one of them is going to get the other second spot. And then maybe the Brewers and Reds uh, will get, uh, the wild card spot because really it looks like you're actually, you hit 500. If you're 30 and 30, you probably will get a wild card. So don't look now, but blockbuster in the NL West as the San Diego Padres have really come out of nowhere this season. And they've, they've always been that, oh, maybe next year is the Padres year. This could be the year, Ira. And they are going all in on it as they acquired a troubled pitcher, Mike Clevenger, from the Indians. They made five trades this week, and besides the Clevenger, now they're getting this frontline starter. And I remember, I, I love the quote, I said this before on the show, is when the Padres signed Machado last year, and the GM said, we're a year ahead. We didn't really need to sign him. We were trying to get in. I saw the Padres play against the Marlins. They had a lot of good young players, and they're like, but that's like sometimes what these teams have to do. It's, it's, it's If the player's available, sign him. And then you're going to sign him with a 10-year, $300 million contract. Okay, maybe a year early you sign him. But i got to give Machado credit because he said, he goes, I like this team. I like what this team's doing. And he went there. And, boy, to have Machado at third base and to teach Junior at shortstop. I mean, I'm trying to think, where am I seeing? Like, that's A-Rod Jeter-like, you know, in terms of yep. third base and second base. I mean, they both are. I mean, Tatis has 13 home runs, 31 RBIs, 315. And, and uh, Machado has 11 home runs, 29 RBIs. Plus, you add Will Myers to that team, who's eight home runs, twenty-four RBIs. I mean, it's just—I mean—they are hitting home runs. They're playing well, and the pitching was good, but not great. Now you got with Paddock is there a good pitcher, and Lamette is the other pitcher. Now you have a Clevenger who might be, you know, the top of the rotation pitcher. Padres are going to win it. I mean, they're going right after the Dodgers to win the to get to win the National League. Uh, you know, you, you can't really blame Mikado either. Going from Baltimore to San Diego, nice little upgrade city-wise. Um, let's talk about the AL. Um, this is one of the, like you said, Ira, it's kind of determined already, and the AL East might end up being one of the toughest battles, which we thought the Yankees were just going to pull away in. It doesn't really matter, though. You know, the way they did the playoffs, that's what I don't like about this seeding one through eight. Um, but I look, the Yankees are a complete mess, and and I, everyone's makes fun of me because I said they're going to win. They're going to win uh, the fifty games. The Dodgers are have ten losses. The, the Dodgers are rolling, and, and just to 
jump back for the Dodgers. They got Gavin Lux is now going to play. Their, their great rookie came up. I mean, there's a team that the Dodgers that were, had their record is 26 and 10. They just broke the home run record in a month at 57, but they have Muncie's hitting 202, Bellinger 225, and Justin Turner is two home runs. So, and, and Walker Bueller has one win on the year. And they, and they haven't played their best rookie. And they still have 26 wins, best record in baseball. Uh, just amazing what the Dodgers are. But the Yankees haven't matched them. And the Yankees have been hurt and injured and have a lot of issues. And players come off and on. I mean, to try to figure out who their teams are. And they're playing the double headers, and it's difficult for that. But uh, the, the uh, Tampa Rays, 24 and 11, uh, under that uh, system that ESPN has 99% chance to win the playoffs. And it looks like Toronto right now at 18 and 14 is going to be that other team. Uh, with uh, uh, that might get the other the other wild card spot, but uh, um, it's just amazing what Toronto, what uh, Tampa Bay has done. Just just tremendous. Uh, just about ten minutes left to go here on Ira on Sports on the True Oldies Channel. What about the AL Central? Well, we saw the no hitter. So Lucas Galido had a no hitter uh, of ninety no hitters since nineteen eighty for the White Sox. Uh, so in baseball, he was the seventh best game scorer. One hundred one pitches, thirteen strikeouts. I love when I get those updates on my phone and I can go, <laughs> "Oh, no hitter!" It's, it's really exciting to see that. And then the first uh, shot in the first uh, hit on the, I mean, the first at bat in the ninth, it was like a line shot, and the and the outfitter caught it, like, "Oh, like he's going to not have that," but. Uh, um, you know, that's what, but you know, it's interesting, you know, Cleveland's in the central, they now traded Clevenger, but they've also traded Bauer and Kluber, but they're still in the mix. They're like, they're sellers, but they're still in the mix for the, for the, for, you know, for getting the, you know, they're definitely the chance of making the playoffs are 90%. So it, I feel bad for Cleveland. Boy, if they would have kept all their players, like how good would Cleveland be? Like they'd be amazing. No, you're absolutely right. And uh, obviously they had Bauer and Cleavage had character issues. Kluber was just kind of getting older, and I think they was right, ready to go. But, yeah, that uh, could have been quite the, quite the squad that they had assembled there. What about the uh, AL West? Well, it's just really, I mean, it's between Oakland and Houston and no one else. Both are like 99.9%. You finally like to see now Houston at 1914 starting to win games. Uh, they actually beat the A's in a doubleheader on Saturday. They played two games. They're getting Granky pitching great, McCullers pitching great. I think the Astros have righted their ship that was sinking or whatever it was, and they don't even have Verlander on that team so uh, because of the injuries. It might come back, uh, but it's interesting how Oakland is still battling there. But again, the, the, the American League is done. You've got Oakland and Houston. You've got Cleveland, Chicago, and Minnesota. And, and you have the Yankees and the Rays and Toronto. That's probably going to be it. The other teams, that's, those are, that's your entire playoff. So we're going to play a month and have those teams. I'd be shocked if, if a team gets in there now the way these teams are playing. And the ESPN thing has like a 99% for almost every one of these teams. Let's uh, go to hockey real quick, Ira. And not much to talk about here except for the fact that I didn't see it going like this. I thought these would all be seven-game series. I thought that Colorado would have would beat Dallas, not even have a shot. I thought that Boston would put Tampa Bay away. And now we're looking at it where every single series is three games to one. Tampa's up 3-1 over Boston. Islanders, no surprise here. They're a better team than the Flyers. They're up 3-1. to one. Dallas was the shock. Like I said, I thought Colorado would move on. And then Vegas, as we knew, just a better team than Vancouver. And they're up three games to one looking to move on as well. Um, Ira, why don't you talk a little uh, uh, auto racing? Well, I just, uh, in NASCAR, they were at Daytona, and William Bryan won his first NASCAR win. He clinched a playoff, and it was the first time that uh, Jimmy Johnson uh, is not going to be, well, he's not the first time, but he is, this is his final season. He's a seven-time champion, and he, and he got caught, caught in a wreck right at the end of the race, so he's not going to make the, uh, uh, the, the playoffs. So now the playoffs start next week with uh, 10 races. So, uh, but it's uh, it's a shame in terms of the fact that you want to see Jimmy Johnson involved in that. He had the co he had to sit out one race because of COVID. Um, whether that made a difference in terms of they, they, I think they moved the points around so it wouldn't affect him that much. But he still ended up not uh, not uh, not making it. But uh, now we have the NASCAR playoffs starting, and you know Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin are the, of course the two favorites to to see who's going to be the champion this year. Let's talk tennis here, and this might be uh, this might be a landing strip for uh, Djokovic, huh? Well. No, this year for Novak Djokovic, I mean, for, he wins the, the, the Western and Southern Open, and uh, which it was in New York, which is usually in Cincinnati, which usually is Cincinnati. Um, but this week, it's, he really, without Nadal, without Federer, and then when you look at how the draw was set up, so he's the top seed. He has, of course, 17 major wins. He had 18 for Nadal uh, and 20 for Federer, uh, or 19 for Nadal and 20 for Federer. And, uh, but he really, at his side of the draw, has John Isner, uh, Tsitsipas from Greece, 
And he have the two guys that I think would give him the most trouble, Dominic Thiem from Austria and uh, Medvedev from Russia, they're at the second and third seeds. So really, he does not have that hard a draw. I mean, there's no Federer to Zoe Dadal, and even then he doesn't have to pay, play Thiem or Medvedev to the final, who you saw in the finals against last year with Medvedev. Um, most of the top seven of the top ten males are in the tournament, the, and 26 of the top 32 overall males. It's the females that, uh, that are really missing from this. And, and for Americans, you got Isner at 16, Fritz at 19. But boy, if there's you know, you like to see some Americans pull some upsets and come and do something. But uh, I like a guy that's Italian, Berrettini. He played great last year. I like to see him do well. And a goot from Spain uh, played well in the Western Southern Open, and I like to see him probably do well here. But uh, it's really interesting. Of the top players, Djokovic from Serbia, Dean from Austria, Medvedev Russia, Greece, Germany, Italy, Italy, Belgium, Spain. It just shows you the national uh, side, the international nature of of men's tennis. That's one of the reasons why it was so hard to get it started because everybody lives in different countries. So, Ira, um, before we get to a little, uh, before we get to a little um, uh, Kentucky Derby action, we do have to take a minute to bring up John Thompson. Um, you know, growing up, when I first got involved in college basketball, it was kind of a different time than it is now. And there was teams like Georgetown, who you don't hear about anymore, that were just powerhouses year in and year out. And my childhood was shaped by the Patrick Ewings, the Allen Iversons, the Alonzo Mornings, the Dikembe Tumbos, and these all came out of Georgetown. Well, I mean, this is a sad week in terms of the colleges of basketball coaches because growing up, as much as, you know, both John Thompson with 596 wins uh, was just, you know, in my formative years of watching Georgetown, Syracuse, St. John's, the whole idea in 82, I mean, in the most iconic games, they lost to, to Michael Jordan, the championship game. In 84, he beat Houston. They win the championship. In 85, they had that loss to Villanova. So, I mean, two of the most the famous games, 82 and 85, he was at 20 NCAA tournaments, 26 NBA players, um, eight first-round draft picks um, from Patrick Ewing to Allen Iverson to Alonzo Mourning. Uh, just a, a great career. Uh, it's just a, it's such a voice for social activism in terms of bringing and, – and, and it's ironic in terms of coaching. I think he had such a place and because he coached at Georgetown. I mean, this is a school that really have a basketball background, per se, and there he is, and, and he's really playing a major role in, in, in D.C., talking to politicians, talking to world leaders. Uh, John Thompson – is someone who, you know, definitely made a mark on college basketball and on the country as a whole. Uh, and, you know, it's exciting. Teams were, teams were you know, very excited by all that. Okay, let's go so. to um, Kentucky Derby here, Ira. And I love the Kentucky Derby. It's very weird that it's going to be held in September on Labor Day weekend, but I'll take it regardless. But uh, in another way that this is going to be weird is, one, there's not going to be 20 horses. This is almost always a full field. We're not going to have a full 20 horses. And we also very rarely have just a super odds on favorite that's not going to pay any money and that's tis the law so to me the strategy is going to have to be how do we get down deeper how do we hit the superfecta here how do we hit trifectas i I do think that there's money to be made here it's not going to be easy but i should say and a lot of people don't know this for the first time they're offering 10 cent superfecta wages so the average (laughs) superfecta pays about fifty seven thousand dollars that's for a dollar bet. So you could really sprinkle some dimes around and still get 5700 if you were to make one of these connections, and that's even with Tis the Law winning. So what's your take on the Derby? Because this is going to be a crazy one. Well, I just want to pivot. One other point is I, I do want, we all want to mention Lute Olson from Arizona okay, who sorry. passed away, and, and uh, he had 781 wins. He was nine years at, at Iowa. Then he went to Arizona for 25 years. Um, as someone, I've been to Arizona. It, it was something to go to the McHale Center there and see the, just the influence he had. Uh, it was just, it's an amazing, you go to Tucson, so it's not in a major city, and they sell out every game for like 100 years. The fans, the excitement, everything. I mean, this, 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 he, he's been 28 tournament appearances, uh, fourth in wins in the NCAA tournament, 28 of his last 29 teams made the NCAA tournament. I mean, it's point guard you with Steve Kerr, Damon Sotomayor, Mike Bibby, and Jason Terry. Just an amazing coach. I mean, Tolson and, and Thompson were like growing up. I mean, these were the guys. I mean, they each had one, just one national championship, but they were just so impressive. And, and someone who grew up in college basketball and loved it so much. And, and it, you know, it's such a loss to have these two, uh, these two great leaders and great coaches. But pivoting to the Derby, um, I do look. It is the law. It just seems like I mean, you want to get your, you want to get behind Tisla. You want to think now. Look, Tisla won the Belmont. Um, it won the Travers and looked really good. And the speed figures were great. But for some reason, it's like it should be the heavy, heavy favorite. And I think it is. But I don't know. I don't see the I don't see the passion for Tisla as you expect as someone who already won the Belmont and won the Travers for this. 
you know, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, this is something like I, I'm sure you've been to a couple of Kentucky derbies, and it, it's a little weird to me that there's just not going to be all that fan fest around it because that's one of my favorite parts of the derby. Yeah, I think it is, and I think one of the point is is that some of these other horses that had run like Honor AP, uh, uh, you know, when he won the San Anita Derby, you know, how that would, you know, in terms of how coming over here and running uh, running against the against the, you know the horses in Kentucky, uh, whether that's going to be different. I mean, there's some people like authentic in terms of how he did well in the Haskell, uh, you know, he uh, you know where he won the Haskell, but that's going to play. You know, some people like Max Player. Uh, in terms of what, what, what he can do. Uh, but then again, these are all horses that Tis the Law is the one with the best wins. I mean, Tis the Law has the, has the uh, you know, from the Florida Derby to the, to the Belmont, to the Travers. I mean, he, he has these wins that, you know, make it. Uh, it's like you're trying to look for a flaw in Tis the Law, and, and, and if, if you had a bad Travers start, I think that's where it would have happened. But I think the fact that he just ran so well in the Travers and had on, on, you know, after the Belmont, you know, that's where it just seems like it, this is going to be, you know, he's going to have the win. You know, he could he's really well positioned to win the triple crown. And then we're going to have this whole debate as he wins the Preakness. Is it really a triple crown? Because he won the, you know, with a gap in between and, and whether that's going to be a, a true triple crown winner or whether it be an asterisk next Tuesday. Either way, it should be exciting. And we're looking forward to the Kentucky Oaks on Friday and the Kentucky Derby on Saturday. Ira, what are you doing this week? What are we watching? Oh my gosh. I mean, there's so much. We got the heat tonight. Um, and I'm going to heat all week. I mean, I love these series. I mean, the Boston, Toronto, and the Miami, Milwaukee series are just going to be, I think, just, just battles each one of them. And I think it's going to be great. Uh, it's great to watch these. And of course, you got the Kentucky Derby going. And I love watching the U.S. Open, the tennis. And, uh, you see from the tennis per se, um, I think it's like, again, it's, uh, it's more like golf in terms of you don't miss the fans that much because during the points, they're not screaming. You don't hear noise. You're supposed to be. Like when you're most wise watching tennis, you don't hear the fans. So the players themselves might have effect of it, but not as, not when you're sitting there because you're not supposed to cheer. Just like in golf. No one's cheering when Tiger's <laughs> hitting the ball. <laughs> so I think that's the difference of it. But no, I'm excited. It's going to be a great week of sports in terms of watching what's going on. We are out of time, though. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night, Ira on Sports.